And actually, a better illustration of what we're going to talk about tonight than anything I just did is what you just heard from the Whirlies. I, I was just thinking, you know, once you were darkness, now you're light in the Lord. God just, I mean, most of us have known the Whirlies um, some years after they became light in the Lord. And so their testimony of what they came from, it's just so good for us to know the power of God's gospel, the power of Christ to, to really change us. And that's what Paul has been talking about in Ephesians 5. In fact, this whole series in Ephesians is about our new life in Christ. And so we're going to jump into verses 6 through 10 tonight. I appreciate Ted Richard covering the verses just before this last week uh, or two weeks ago. Uh, in verse 6, we read these words, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We're breaking this down into these three main points. In verse 6, the eternal danger of deception. The eternal danger of deception. And then verses 7 through the first part of verse 8, the practical reality of distinction. There's a difference now if you've actually been born again, and that leads to practices that are different because of who you are. We do what we are. And whatever we are, it ought to dictate what we do. And then, finally, a fruitful life of discernment. It's not just that, you know, light is light. It has its own qualities, but, but light is productive. And uh, the kids understand that. Uh, without the light, we would die. Without the light, there are no crops. Um, the fruitful life of discernment. And so, these images that the Scripture uses really help us understand the life that we're, we're supposed to live. So let's look at this first truth from this particular section of verses, the eternal danger of deception, the eternal danger of deception. Now, it starts with actually a command. Um, we don't have a way, we don't have a way to do a, a third-person command. All of our commands are our second person, say, you do this, you do that. Um, and so this is the way we would say in English, let no one deceive you. And so we're thinking, well, don't allow anybody to do this. It's the idea of, of this, is, this is forbidden for you to be deceived, okay? Don't let anyone deceive you. Really, really important because there's a lot of different voices that would say different, that would teach different from what he's teaching here, about uh, sexual purity and how we, we live our lives. He says, don't let anyone deceive you. And, and with the no one and the fact that this is so absolute, it means it doesn't matter with the guy that the guy says, I'm a Gnostic, and I don't believe that it really matters what you do with your body. All that matters is your spirit. It doesn't matter if he's a universalist. It says everybody gets to heaven eventually, so it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if he's an affirming um, so-called Christian who says how you live doesn't matter at all, let no one deceive you. And what he's deceiving you with would be 
empty words. This word, empty. Empty words. Um, why are they empty words? You know, it's one thing to say something. Just because you say something um, doesn't mean that it's true. So, words that have no, that have no roots in reality are empty words. You know, the early church lived in a culture that rejected the biblical teaching on sexual purity. Many people hadn't even been exposed to it, but, but sexual permissiveness was the way of life. This is not a modern trend. Somehow we think that, that the attitude toward immorality that we have in our day started in the 1960s. Not so. Not so. Um, sexual permissiveness is, is ancient, and it's pagan. Um, so we don't want to let anyone tell us today that, oh, well, it's just old-fashioned. That's just Victorian to pursue a lifestyle of purity. And, and you need to be enlightened. We're more enlightened now. So that, that is darkness. That's just flat-out lie. Sexual sin has never been right, and it never will be. Now, God obviously created the relationship between husband and wife, but once it goes outside of that boundary, that sacred covenant boundary, then it becomes a harmful, destructive thing. It, it does harm to people. It is, these are empty words. Talking falsehood doesn't turn lies into reality. And, and they don't protect you from the consequences of doing wrong. Notice that he gives, he says, here's, here's a reason not to be deceived. See this word for? He's giving you the reason. For because of these things, and we got to define what are, what are these things. When you're reading your Bible and you say these things, what things? Okay? So we're going to go back and we're going to look at those things in just a moment. What are the things? Well, obviously, they're not in this section of the Scripture. But if we go back to the verses that preceded, the, the verses that uh, Brother Ted uh, talked about, we see what those things are. In verses 3 through 5, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, which he calls idolatry. That's one th wanting uh, what God hasn't given you. And, and being willing to go outside of his commands in order to get it. And all these things go together. See, um, impurity, sexual morality, covetousness, greed, uh, very, very much of the same sort of thing. In fact, those that are in love with money are also often in love with sexual morality as well because it's the same kind of appetite, the same kind of greed for what God hasn't given us. And then he goes further than that. Remember when uh, Brother Ted talked to us? It's not only this, this internal heart desire for these things and the behavior that comes from it, but, it, but it's going to come out our mouth as well. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. Now, it wasn't that long ago that I was in junior high. Okay? The, the problem is, some people, it's like they never get out of junior high. They still think it's funny to joke about things that destroy people's lives. 
So let me encourage you, those of you that are, are young and you're just becoming aware of some of these, some of these things, don't, don't engage your mind and your mouth in filthy talk. Not in the locker room. Not among your friends. Um, it's just foolishness. It's harmful foolishness. Rather, let your words be words that actually build people up. It, it's not funny to joke about things that God has made sacred and, and things that when they're violated actually destroy people's lives. And, and the, the harm that, that violating God's commands in this area has done is just untold. Uh, and it's not just out there. Within our own church, this is, this is a battle we have to fight. Now, notice... When we talk about, you know, because of these things, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Okay, so I can pretend like it's okay, but God hasn't said it's okay. And God, wrath here, speaks of settled hostility to sin. And the fact that the wrath of God comes means this isn't just God's attitude, but that his actions are going to follow through with what he thinks of all this. And, and we know this is true. When we look at the history of Israel, the thing that if you listen to the prophets talk, and there's all kinds of sins that, that Israel in the north and Judah in the south committed, but one, some of the things that keep coming up um, are, are the sins of sexual morality, oh, well, actually idolatry, and connected to that idolatry is sexual morality, and connected to that was child sacrifice. They, they would actually burn the kids alive that came from these unions. And this was part of the culture. They filled the land with innocent blood. And, and God lists these things as some of the chief reasons that he is taking them into captivity, that he's bringing great judgment on them. There are other things they did that were abusive as well, um, those that were in places of leadership, of using those that were poor and, and doing people wrong. But, but these kinds of things, this is like ultimate kind of abuse. Um, when I use another people, another person to satisfy my appetite, rather than it being um, a, a mutual expression of love, then then I'm doing harm to that person. I'm engaging in abuse, and it's the kind of attitude toward people that God just doesn't allow. And he brought great judgment. And God, when the Scripture talks about the wrath of God, we see these times in history where it falls on people, but, but, but we also see portrayed that, that there's a wrath of God that's coming at the end of the age, the consummation of all things, that, that nobody gets away with anything. You know, ultimately, ultimately, Jesus Christ pays for your sins, or you pay for them. Because God, God is going to deal with it, okay? And so he says, don't be deceived by empty words. I mean, people can talk all they want. They can be in their ivory towers. They can write their books and philosophies. It doesn't change what reality is, Okay? I can pretend like there's another reality. I can pretend like there's not even a God to exercise wrath, but that doesn't change the reality of what is and what will happen. And so, because we know this, because as believers we've been warned of this, we're, we're going to live a different way. And notice, the wrath of God comes on the sons of 
disobedience. Okay? Now, what does that mean? It's actually a kind of a Hebrew expression, sons of disobedience. When I look at um, a son or a daughter, we, we often notice that the son or daughter has a lot of characteristics like their, their parents. Well, you're the spitting image of your dad, okay? Well, to be a son of disobedience means that, that your very uh, nature, your natural character is to disobey. We often say it this way, we are sinners by birth and by choice. And the reason we choose to sin, the reason we sin is because we are sinners. It's who we are, okay? And we express that sinful nature, the fact that we are children of disobedience by what we do. And, and what this tells me is that my disobedience, my inborn disobedience toward God is not just at the level of the things that I do. It's at the level of what I am. It's right at the heart level. It's, it's, what, it's where my desires are, my, the, what drives me to do what I do. And, and people who live this way and think this way and are this way are going to fall under God's wrath. And we know that we all start here unless there's some huge change, a heart rejection uh, of God's definitions of right and wrong, and therefore the wrath of God that's going to come on that. So, there is a practical reality of making a distinction between this old way of living and the way we have in Christ. Verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. So, some key some key words here, um, partners, okay? This word means that not just, it's not talking about don't hang out with these people, don't associate with them, because you actually have to do that if you're going to share the gospel with them. What it means is don't participate. Don't take part in it. Don't, don't engage in the same kind of behavior. Do not become partners with them. Now, the realize that this is a, this is a warning, this is a warning not, not to unbelievers, but to believers. He's writing believers. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought if I'm a believer, the wrath of God is not going to come on me. Well, the reality is if you share in their sin, you share in their judgment. You know, sometimes if you're actually born again, God will take you to the woodshed. God will, God will deal with you. God, you know, sin brings judgment. And you say, well, you know, I'm sure I'm a Christian. Well, assurance of salvation is not an excuse for pursuing sin. Some people say, oh, I'm saved. It doesn't matter what I do. No, if you're saved, it will matter to you what you do if you're actually saved. And, and we know that because of the language that's going to be used here. Here's a, what I thought was really helpful uh, quotation from John Stott in his little commentary, The Message of Ephesians. By the way, I would recommend this uh, commentary. It's, you, you can get some really big fat ones if you want, but, but this small commentary is, tends to be very accurate, very readable, and very applicable. And I would, I would encourage you, it's one that you could have in your own library and really benefit from. Um, the only downside could be that you hear me quote him too often. Um, but here we go. If we should fall into a life of greedy immorality, 
we would be supplying clear evidence that we are, after all, idolaters, not worshipers of God, disobedient people instead of obedient, and so heirs not of heaven but of hell. The apostle gives us a solemn warning. We shall be wise to heed it. So why does he say, don't become partners with them? Again, we have explanation. For, for, at one time you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. You were darkness, you are, you are light in the Lord. That's why you're not going to partner with them. That's why you're not going to participate in this lifestyle. No matter what empty words are flooding your way from every side. The truth remains. And so, once you were darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Why wouldn't I want to be part, part, partners with them? Because I'm not the same person anymore. I've been radically changed. At one time, you were darkness. Not just you were in the dark. You were darkness. The darkness was so dark. It was, it was not just outside of you. It was inside of you. It was inside of me. Deceit, our way of life. Death, our common destiny. Evil came naturally to us. It was our core identity, our core character. This is one of the problems with, um, you know, some of the recovery programs where you start off defining yourself by your sin. If you're a believer, you're not defined by your sin. Your sin is a contradiction to your identity, and you need to call it out as such. So he says, look, you were darkness. Now you're light in the Lord. He's calling out this sin as contrary to who, whom Christ has made you to be. Now you're light in the Lord. We call this being born again. Your spiritual DNA has been changed. You're part of a different family. You have different genes now. There's a, there's a different set of inborn characteristics, and we, and we see this because here we have this children of light expression. Here's the contrast. Sons of disobedience, children of light. That, that means it's not that you're perfect, but it does mean that your disposition, your heart's desire, your, your way of looking at life, who you really are inside is a child of light. Light characterizes who you are. So we don't want to take part in what is contrary to our new nature in the Lord. We don't want to define ourselves by our sin. You might be struggling with some kind of besetting sin, and it might, might even be in this kind of area. Don't define yourself by that. Stop, stop just focusing on the sin Focus on who you are in Christ, the power that you have, who you are, how you're supposed to live with the power that God has given to you as a newborn again person, and let the light shine. Define yourself by who you are in Jesus. And that's going to lead to a fruitful life of discernment. So, this is who you are now, and we've seen this phrase, we've seen this verb a lot. Um, walk 
Who remembers what, if we were very literally translating this walk, who remembers there's more to it than just walk, like from one place, point A to point B? Did anybody remember? Yeah, walk about. This is your walk about life. It, it, it pulls into the picture wherever you're going, you know, whether you're at work or on vacation, whether it's daytime or nighttime, whether you're with your family or away from your family, wherever you walk about, be who you are. Be who you are and live consistently with that. So, one of these days I'm just going to whack my chin on Anyway, say, well, what does that, what does that mean to you know, walk as children of light. Well, he again explains it for us. In fact, we could, we could almost entitle this message for, okay? Because it keeps, he keeps giving us reasons. This is what I love. You know, we talked this morning about you don't check your brains at the door when you, when you come to Christ, come to the gospel. Uh, the apostles call us to think through things to think through who you are in Christ, to think through the implications of that for your life. For the fruit, now we would expect this word to be life, wouldn't we? The fruit of life, because fruit comes from life, but the fruit of light, so he said, you're, you're children of light, that's who you are, the fruit of being a child of light means this is what's going to grow from that. This is what people can observe. This is, this is the action step side of it. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Good and right and true. And I love how, how this brings it down to just really, you know, practical things. Um, your new nature is inherently one of light, uh, truth, and life, and healing. Think of all the properties of, of light that we even discussed in the Not Just for Kids. Um, the fruit of light is the effect of light. Fruit trees need light to grow. We even talk about the growing season. When is the growing season? It's when the days are longer where there's more light. Light reveals and purifies. And I was thinking about this. The roaches go running when the light goes on. Yeah? And so when the, we, we want the light to be on. Tell the roaches to head on out because this is a place of, of light. Who wants, to, who wants to squirm around with the roaches in the dark? Turn on the light. Let the roaches run. Um, get rid of them. And, and live a life that's what it ought to be. All that's good and right and true. So the first word, good, is referring to really moral goodness. Okay, so this is tying in to what he's been talking about. Um, if, if you are light in the Lord, then one of the things that characterizes your life and how it ought to express itself is going to be moral goodness. And you say, well, you know, that just seems a little like legalistic or whatever. Well, remember that moral goodness, God's definitions of right and wrong, are the definitions of how you love God and how you love others. That sums up the law and the prophets, okay? So, moral, moral goodness 
it is living in a way that shows love to God and love to others. There are those today that would, would talk about love and hate in opposite terminologies. Like you, you, you condone sin out of love. No. Okay? You live in sin out of love. No. Because, because moral goodness is loving. There's another word for goodness that talks about benefit, but moral goodness, God's standards of right and wrong, they can't save us because our problem is deeper than that. Christ has to save us. But the moral goodness is an expression of the change that God has to make in us, and that is love for God and love for others. And, and we want that to be part of, of our life. We want to live our life that way. So d- don't think about doing right before God, when you're going through your days and you're facing some of those temptations, don't think about it as, Man, I just got to do the right thing. Think about, hey, I want to I love God. I want to love others. And, and if I choose to do the wrong thing, I know it actually shows hatred toward others. It's actually using them. It's abusing them. Uh, it's darkness instead of light. And, and God has made me light. And so I, I'm going to do what shows love to people. And then the second word, righteousness, um, the word right refers to righteousness, and that's just conformity to God's standards of right and wrong. It, it includes what is moral and just and, and fair. You think about the king of righteousness. We think about equity. We think about justice. True justice is, is righteous. It conforms to God's standards of right and wrong. And then truth, as opposed to falsehood. It's defined by what the Scriptures reveal to be so. And we want to live lives that are transparent, that are true, uh, nothing to hide, uh, lives that are truthing in love. And then verse 10 sums it up this way, and try to discern, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So try to discern... This is translating a word that has the idea of of testing in order to prove something to be good or to approve of it. So it would be like you're shopping. Um, Okay, you're looking for, it's peach season. You're looking for really good peaches, and and you're going to squeeze them a little bit. You're going to look to see if there's any bad places on them. You're going to test them so that you'll get the basket of peaches that are actually good, okay? Well, you and I need to be doing that with our lives, with all the choices we make, with the things we decide to do tonight, the things we decide to do tomorrow, and how we interact with people. I want to be testing, like, is this, is this what is actually, um, you know, meets, is something that I should approve of? I'm going to test it. I'm not living... Um, kind of unintentionally. I'm not living just haphazardly. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm engaged. I'm, I'm focused. I'm discerning. And what I'm trying to discern is what is pleasing to the Lord. And, and this is a, a cool word. It, it combines pleasing plus good. So it's the idea of well-pleasing to the Lord. Have you thought about this? that you can actually bring God pleasure. That, that actually feels a little weird to even say, doesn't it? I could bring God pleasure, but th- this, this is the life. 
God has called us. He's made us his children. Now, if you're a parent, you love your kids, think, think about the pleasure it gives you when they live in a way that you've trained them to live. When, when they've adopted your way of looking at life and they're living it out. I mean, you're, you're not sitting there going, man, I wish I had made as good grades as my kids. Man, I wish I, wish I could you know, play soccer as well as, as my kids. Oh, I, I wish I had the... Per-. No, you're going like, wow, that's so cool. He's like twice as good as I ever was. And we get joy out of that. Obviously, obviously God is absolutely perfect. Um, so that's what makes it a little strange to think that he would actually be pleased. But it says that he is pleased. That he is pleased. That, remember in, a, in Hebrews eleven six 6, says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Same word, okay? We have the privilege, even though we're sinners by birth and by choice, having been born again through the Holy Spirit of God, through trust in Jesus, we, we have been given God's character so that we can actually do his good pleasure. We can bring God pleasure in the way we live. So, so look, you could, you could start tomorrow morning. You could start this way. God, Lord, you, you know me. You, you know how messed up I can be. But God, let me bring you pleasure today. You're, you're my father. You, you've made me new in Christ. Lord, Be pleased. Let me bring you pleasure in the way that I think and talk and live on this day. In fact, the same word is used in Romans 12, 1 and 2, familiar verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies, the compassions of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, you're going to do like the the Old Testament priests did where they gave themselves a lifelong service to God, holy and acceptable to God pleasurable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So living this way, you know what? Living this way is living life as worship. Make my life an hallelujah. Make make my life a life that pleases God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed, pressed into the mold of this world. Don't let anyone deceive you. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This involves keeping your mind in gear that by testing you may discern same kind of language what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect this this is the way we live the Christian life it's the best life there is And, and it's only possible because God has changed us from darkness to light so there is eternal danger of being deceived about these things don't listen to the liars. Don't listen to the liars. Whoever's lying, don't listen to them. Lying doesn't change what the truth is. There's a practical reality of distinction. If I'm light, I'm going to live a certain way. If I'm still darkness, I'm going to live a certain way. And then there's fruitfulness when I live a life of discernment, looking for what brings God pleasure. Well, God, help us to, to live this way and to bring him glory and bring good into the lives of other people. Father, thank you for your word, and we pray that you would use it in our lives and use us in the lives of others. And Lord, if you hadn't put it in your word, it would almost feel blasphemous to say, to think that we could actually bring you pleasure. 
But God, we love that we can bring you pleasure. Or like little kids, like little toddlers, and you love it when we love you. You love it when we do, we do the things that we know please you. So God, let us bring you pleasure this week as we live out the life that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.